Let's grab our Bibles, open up again as we continue our study through the book of Joshua. We're in Joshua chapter 8 this morning. We'll continue to look at how we can build a battle-ready faith for this life. Joshua chapter 8. Today uh, is actually a a continuation uh, of the the message from last Sunday as they were uh, heading to the little town of Ai to do battle. And if you missed uh, last Sunday's, well, I'm you know, really sorry to hear that. But uh, <clears throat> you know, the good news is you can, you can always catch up, uh, listen to it on the website or on Facebook, uh, that type of thing. Uh, but uh, even though this Sunday is a continuation of last week, uh, if you weren't here, you're not going to be lost because all you really need to keep in mind is that Israel lost because there was sin in the camp. That's, that's what you need to carry over from last week. Now, uh, there was a lot more to last week's message than that. Uh, you know, we spoke about the justice and judgment of God and all that kind of stuff. But, but that's what you have to keep in mind as we move forward in Joshua. Israel lost because of that sin. And that was, uh, uh, happened at Ai. The, the setting for that failure was the battle of Ai. Ai was this little uh, tiny town that the scouts had believed would be just a piece of cake for the Israel army to take. But Israel ended up suffering their first and actually their only military defeat in their quest to take over the promised land at Ai. And it turns out that the culprit for that was a guy named Achan who deliberately and purposely sinned against God's command and he was holding on and trying to hide that sin. In fact, he refused to confess and repent and, uh, and he didn't do that until he got caught and was forced to do it. And, and two lessons that we uh, learned from that last week was that you know sin does bring judgment and sin impacts... Um, uh, not only us negatively, but, but those around us as well. Because of Achan's sin, all of Israel was defeated. But when Israel as a whole obeyed God's commands and dealt with that sin, then they were uh, free to once again enjoy the victory that God had promised and, and assured to give them. And that brings us up to chapter 8 as we're moving on. Chapter 8 begins with the word, now. And that now is important because basically that was God saying, okay, now that you have humbled yourselves before me, now that you have faithfully dealt with this issue of sin, now that there is nothing that is there hindering between me and thee, uh, we can get on with things. Now we can keep moving. So that's how verse one starts. Now the Lord said to Joshua, do not fear or be dismayed. Take all the people of war with you and arise and go to Ai. See, I have given into your hand the king of Ai, his people, his city, and his land. See, now when a person stops them and thinks about it for a minute or two, you'll, you'll discover that there are several uh, significant points that can be made just even from that one verse uh, as we're getting started this morning, you know, aside from the thoughts uh, that we already mentioned about uh, the word now. First of all, God starts off with a word of cheer and comfort for Joshua and, of course, all the people, right? But that word of, of comfort did not come when Joshua was first pouring out his heart in humble, dust-on-his-head anguish uh, before God, as, as we saw him last week when he was praying after the defeat. There, there was a reason for that defeat, and that reason called for 
action, not comfort. And that's why God's words to Joshua at that point were, hey, what are you doing praying? Get up off your feet, or get up on your feet and, and get moving. I've, uh, there's sin that has to be dealt with uh, and you need to take care of that. And, and only after that sin had been dealt with did God then offer this, this word of comfort. Do not fear or be dismayed. See, as long as the sin had not been dealt with, well, they had every reason to fear and be dismayed. Uh, God would not be with them to help them in that situation. And, and fear and dismay, I mean, that is exactly what all the people had been feeling. But now God was saying, you can put that behind you. You can put that aside. And the reason they were going to be able to put that aside is because of the second point that we can get from this verse, which is this, where they had previously suffered defeat, they would now have victory. I mean, there's, there's no reason to fear when you're going to have victory. God says point blank to them, see, I have given into your hand the king of Ai. Now they were experiencing fear and dismay because, I mean, they had got their tails whipped at, at Ai the first time they tried to attack them. And some of their number, their, their friends, their brothers had, had been killed in the battle. And so what had at first seemed like hey, this is going to be an easy thing. That's what their scouts had told them. Then it turned into this daunting task, and now they were afraid about it. I mean, what happens if they, if they whoop us again? What happens if, 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 if they overwhelm us? And God was saying, hey, that's not going to be the case. This time, there will be victory. This time, AI will not be able to stand against them. And to show how sure and how certain this, this victory was, did you notice that God put it in the past tense, even though the battle hadn't happened yet? I have given into your hand. It's as if it had already happened. And the truth is, when God declares something will happen, it's as good as as happened, right? Uh, he does not fail. Uh, and the king and the people and all the land that was under the, uh, the king's control, that would be Israel's when the battle was over. And it was so sh- certain and sure, God was saying, it is already yours. It's already yours. And that's why God compares it to Jericho, which you know was another already past event. And looking at the beginning of verse 2, he says, you shall do to Ai and its king just as you did to Jericho and hits king. However, that didn't mean they would be using the same tactics. And this again brings out maybe the third point that we can glean from this one verse. God is giving now instructions for them in order to have the victory. God says to Joshua, take all the people of war with you, rise up, go to Ai, and then he's going to go on and give instructions. You know, that's something that didn't happen the first time around when Israel attacked Ai. Do you remember that? There is no indication anywhere that, that Joshua or the people stopped and prayed and looked to God for guidance or plans on how best to attack. I mean, they, they went up, they sent the scouts, they used their best of human wisdom and their resources ahead of them, and then they went ahead with the plan that they came up with, and they did that. But not this time. Things were different this time. Now they were listening to God. You know, had they sought and been listening to God the first time around, 
they probably would not have gone up to attack Ai because undoubtedly God would have revealed to them the fact that there was sin in the camp and that that had to be dealt with first before they could do it. But now they had learned that lesson and so they were listening to God. And of course, there's obviously pretty good lessons in that for us as well, right? I mean, there may be times when we suffer defeat in this life. We might get like Joshua and the people and think, hey, we know what to do with what's laying ahead. We can make our own plans. We can really figure this out. And, and we go ahead without really seeking God or, or his wisdom or direction. And we might toss up a few nominal prayers here and there for God to bless what we're doing, right? But that's very different than seeking him and his guidance and his direction for our plans. And so in our own strength and might, you know, we can go marching off to do our plans and to do things in we suffer defeat. And perhaps that's happened to you. Maybe, maybe it's happening even right now uh, where you're at. But here's the good news. Uh, that defeat does not have to define who you are. God can transform that time of failure into victory. And that may require humbling yourself before him in prayer, uh, dealing with any sin that he might reveal in your life, and being willing then to uh, boldly follow him in whatever he desires. But as we do that, it's God's intention and desire to lead us into victory. I mean, that's what the Apostle Paul declared in Romans 8.37 when he said, but in all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. God loves us, and he doesn't want to see us mired in defeat. Turning to him for direction will give us a clear path to victory. And that's exactly what he did for Joshua and the people there of Israel. He gave them the plan and the path to follow for the attack. Look again at verse 2. It says, You shall do to Ai and its king just as you did to Jericho and its king. You shall take only the spoil and the cattle for yourselves. Set an ambush for the city behind it. So now we get to see what God's military tactic and, and plan is for this particular campaign. You know, Jericho, they were marching around the city uh, in silence and all that. We, we talked about this. This is a totally different type of tactic. And you know, Joshua gets a lot of credit for being this, this military genius. And uh, I'm thinking, you know, it'd be pretty easy to be a military genius if God's telling you what to do every time. I mean, and I don't want to take any credit away from Joshua because, you know, it looks like God gave the bare bones of the plans, but Joshua still had to work out the details and the plans and stuff. He was a good guy, but God, there's got to be a help a lot uh, to be a genius if God's the one uh, doing that. Uh, so before we look at how Joshua set up the ambush, though, there's one other important thing there in verse 2 that I think we should mention. Did you notice here that God is going to allow the soldiers to take the spoils of war this time? Again, completely opposite from what they did in Jericho. The livestock, the clothing, the money, whatever, household goods, any other things of value that they found, the, the, the spoils of war would be split among the, the, the soldiers this time. And, and, you know, I think it's interesting that that comes immediately after their failure. Here, here's God uh, showering them with grace and good, even though they were a very imperfect people. And, and what a good reminder that is for us. That, uh, that God's desire is to provide and, and to bring good into our life even when we stumble and fall 
Of course, this happened after they repented and, and prayed and, and dealt with the sin, which also is, is a good sign to us. But it reminds us of the graciousness of God. Okay, so now let's look at, at, at God's battle plan for taking Ai. Israel's army, uh, remember, was about 40,000 fighting men. And, and remember, they thought Ai was going to be such a pushover the first time that they only sent 3,000 guys up uh, uh, to, to go against it the first time. Uh, this time, God says specifically, take all the fighting men and, and that he wants them to set an ambush. So Joshua uh, took 30,000 guys and told them to sneak around behind Ai and lie hidden in wait for the right moment to ambush the city. And then Joshua would take the other 10,000 men and march up to the city. But after those 30,000 had left and Joshua was doing that, then he also thought about, well, we got this other close-by town, Bethel, over here, and we certainly don't want those guys to come over and be helping the guys of Ai. So he split his forces again and sent 5,000 guys to go over and be a guard between Bethel and Ai so that those guys wouldn't be able to come over and help them and they would get outflanked or anything like that. And so now with 5,000 guys, He's marching up and, and gets his army uh, uh, stationed on a hill across the valley from Ai, uh, which was a common battle tactic back then. And, and so um, uh, the king of Ai, he saw them uh, doing that. And, and this time, of course, to him, it looks like oh, Israel's coming back to try it again. He can tell they got a bigger army this time, right? 5,000 guys instead of 3,000. But that would be normal. Oh, they didn't think they had enough. Well, they got a few more guys this time. No big problem for us. We're going to go out and whoop him again. He's all excited about getting his guys together because he thinks they can have the victory like they had the first time. And so we notice in verse 14, it came about when the king of Ai saw it that the men of the city hurried and rose up early and went out to meet Israel in battle. He and all his people at the appointed place before the desert plain. But he did not know that there was an ambush set behind the city. Now, I think that last phrase in and of itself shows that this battle was as much about God and a miracle of God as the battle of Jericho, right? Because it says the king had no idea that there was an ambush behind the city. Well, how is that possible, right? I mean, they had just been attacked, they knew Israel was out there trying to defeat them. They knew Israel was still camped below the smoldering ruins of Jericho. You know that he had to have dozens and dozens of guards and sentries and, and, and lookouts all over the place. How do you get 30,000 men snuck around behind a city with nobody seeing? Only because of God. This, this is one of those hidden miracles of the Bible that really doesn't get talked about. But you, you know God had to avert the eyes. He had to plug up the ears uh, of all those sentries and, and outlooks and guards that were posted to be the lookouts for exactly this type of thing. So God was in this battle as well. Anyways, the 
The plan was for Joshua and the men to act like they were scared and run off the way they had before with the idea that the the king and his army then would chase them down like they did before. And of course, that's exactly what happened. Verse 15, Joshua and all Israel pretended to be beaten before them and they fled by way of the wilderness and all the people who were in the city were called together to pursue them and they pursued Joshua and were drawn away from the city. And Joshua had set up a signal to alert the ambush group when it was time to attack, when the army uh, had been drawn far enough away from the city of Ai, then Joshua got up on a prominent point on the mountain where they could be seen, and he took his spear and he stuck it out toward the city of Ai. And then those 30,000 men got up from behind the city, snuck in to the the gate, and and ransacked the city and set it on fire. And and apparently, someone, one of the soldiers in, in the army of Ai, noticed that their city was burning. Uh, uh, commander, uh, our city's on fire here. And so then they all turned around and said, oh no, we got to rush back and help the city only to find 30,000 soldiers there waiting for them. And at that time, the 5,000 with Joshua who were pretending to run turned around and attacked and the 5,000 by Bethel came and they were just crushed in there. And it was all over. They, they experienced God's judgment given through Joshua at this time. Now at this point, in our human wisdom, again, it would tell us to press the advantage. You've got this little town of Bethel right near there and other places. Let's go and take care of everything there. But instead, Joshua stops. And he takes the entire congregation, not just the army here, the, 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 the wives, the daughters, the sons, all the children, everybody takes this entire congregation 25 miles away. Now, for us, 25 miles, you know, sounds like, oh, that's a quick little jaunt. You know, we hop in the car, 25 miles, no problem. 25,000 mi- uh, miles in a mountainous country, camping, walking on foot with, with, with all your goods and stuff to be able to make this happen. This was a multi-day side uh, trek here. And, and people are thinking, well, what, what is Joshua doing? Well, he is doing what he had been commanded to do by Moses. Now remember, Moses led the people out of Egypt. Moses, he was the leader of, of Israel all the way through the 40 years of wandering wilderness and everything. And Joshua only became the leader just now as they were coming over in the promised land. And the reason for that was because of Moses' own sin, his prideful sin, he was barred from coming into the promised land. And God told him, yeah, you'll get to look at the promised land, but I'm taking you home before you come in. And, and, and so uh, that's what God was doing that. But before uh, God took Moses home, God had one final message to give to the people of Israel through Moses. In Deuteronomy 27, he charged Joshua, who would be the next leader, and all the people, as he gave this final message, telling them, okay, once you've crossed over the, 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 the Jordan into the promised land, there'll come a time where you need to set up an altar to worship God on a particular mountain. He named the mountains for them, Ebal and, and Gerizim. And the stones of this altar, he gave very specific instructions, must be uncut, uncrafted, untouched by any human tool, just natural stones, but plastered over so that they would be able to write on them. And so they would build this altar, these natural stones plastered over, and on the stones they would write all the words of God's law. And the place for this altar was going to be on Mount Ebal. And so only after they had 
uh, defeated Ai did they have access to this Mount Ebal. So now, as soon as they had access, Joshua was going to obey what Moses had told them. And so Moses told him, you're going to go over to this Mount Ebal, but right next to Mount Ebal is another mount called Gerizim. And the two mountains kind of butt up next to each other, but they make a large valley in between where all the people could be. And it's a huge natural amphitheater. You can still go there today in Israel. And one person can stand uh, on the mountain on one side and you can recite the Ten Commandments there. And everybody standing on the mountain the other side can hear you plain as day because of this natural amphitheater uh, uh, effect. And, And so they're over there. And Moses said that once they got there, that here's what they would do. They needed to, and, and Moses gave out all, all the curses and the blessings of God's law. Uh, the, um, uh, and, and when they got to this place, they were supposed to put half the people on one mountain, half the people on the other mountain, representing the curses and the blessings. And, and, and they would read out the curses for not following his laws and the blessings for those who did. And, and the, very last, the very last message that this congregation got from Moses were these instructions of how to do this. And he ended this message with this challenge. He said, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, the blessing and the curse. So choose life in order that you may live, you and your descendants, by loving the Lord your God, by obeying his voice, by holding fast to him. For this is your life and the length of your days that you may live in the land which the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to give to them. And now they were doing, Joshua was doing exactly what Moses had commanded there. And can you imagine what a powerful worship service that would have been? These people were divided by tribes onto the two mountains, one representing the curses, one representing the blessings. And Joshua then would stand where his voice could be heard by all. And he would first off read out the curses. Cursed is the man who carves an image or casts an idol. Cursed is the man who dishonors his father or mother. Cursed is he who distorts justice for the alien, orphan, or the widow. And he continues on. There was a dozen of these curses. And after every curse, every person in the congregation on both mountains would answer, Amen. Uh, Amen meaning literally, so be it. We understand this is the ramifications. This is what happens if we don't follow God's commands. But then it would end with the blessing. And you can almost hear Joshua with his voice swelling up and shouting out, all these blessings will come upon you if you obey the Lord your God. Blessed shall you be in the city and blessed shall you be in the country. Blessed shall be the offspring of your body and the produce of the ground and the offspring of your beasts and the increase of your herd and the young of your flock. Blessed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Blessed shall you be when you come in and blessed shall you be when you go out. It was this comprehensive blessing for all of life. And in this worship service on these two mounts, it was an intense visual aid to help them remember. They had to do as Moses commanded. 
They had to choose. Life and death had been set before them. Obedience to God would bring the blessing. Disobedience, the curses. And they had to choose which path they were going to take. Which mountain am I going to stand upon? And pretty much the rest of the Old Testament shows that pattern, doesn't it? Trouble when they disobeyed and blessings when they faithfully follow God. And now in that powerful worship service setting with those two mounts, they were making that choice for the first time as they stood in the promised land. But it is not a choice that was meant to be made just once. The obedience is something that must be chosen every single morning multiple times through the day because of every interaction we have all through the day. And it's very similar, of course, to us today. And I'm not talking about the choice for salvation here. I mean, that is uh, something that is done once for all and is unconditional. But do we have to understand that many of the promises and the many of the blessings that God gives to us are conditional? And every morning we can choose the life that God has set out for us, and that Jesus Christ has made possible for us. We can choose to be obedient and thereby be a conduit of God's blessing, not only into our own life, but to those around us. And part of building a battle-ready faith in this life is those daily little choices we make to do things God's way. I've set before you life and death, Every time we choose that obedience and that life, we strengthen the faith that brings God's blessings to bear in our lives and in the lives of those around us. Let's pray. Father God, there's really so much more that could be said about this, but uh, we're out of time. And so God, we trust that your spirit will continue to work in our hearts and lives through this message from your word. And God, we pray that we would be people who are faithful to choose that obedience, faithful to choose your uh, plan and your path. God, we are so thankful for the forgiveness that is available when we fail. We're so thankful for that altar that is there, the altar of sacrifice for forgiveness. But God, we pray that you would strengthen us day by day to choose uh, obedience, that we might be a powerful blessing to those around us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.